0: i sophomore at Benton, and I'm part of our youth group. Um, our reading today is Psalms 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter the, his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, Kiddos, you're staying in here with us today. Hopefully you got a packet when you came in. Um, If you didn't, we can get you one of those. Oh, kindergarten and first are leaving. Okay, never mind. Kindergarten and first, you're headed with Miss Robin. Kindergarten and first graders, heading with Miss Robin. She wanted to really hang out with you. If... um, If you haven't already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm uh, 100, a psalm that you are likely familiar with, a song that we quote and sing, Um, His steadfast love endures forever, a psalm for giving thanks. In this psalm, and uh, it's appropriate to be read here at uh, this kind of pause as we move into the Advent season. So next week, we'll officially start Advent. Um, Advent typically starts four Sundays before Christmas, and so we'll start that next week. Advent means the appearing, and we celebrate the uh, appearing of Jesus, his first appearing. And we long for and ready our hearts in anticipation for his second appearing, his second coming. And you might have heard some of those reflected in the songs today of how long. If you've lived any sort of normal life in this world, you've tasted the bitterness of disappointment, of sin, of hurt, of grief. Um, you've tasted pain and difficulty. And delays and dead ends and yet our heart longs for the second coming of Christ where we experience deliverance full and final deliverance well what do we do in the in between this is what the psalmist is going to say and he's going to base all of these around this concept of hesed and I've taught this before maybe the most beautiful it doesn't sound beautiful when you say it but maybe the most beautiful word in the Hebrew language has said which literally means it's translated in your Bibles his steadfast love or his loving kindness sometimes it's translated it's in verse 5 of our text today and if you didn't know in the Hebrew language it's fascinating the Hebrew language every word has a word picture with it so like the hebrew word for anger in uh the hebrew word for anger means to flare your nostrils and that's the word picture that comes with anger if you've ever been really angry you can't control them nostrils man they just you kind of get it right or or uh the hebrew word to uh, curl up is the same as the word for cat um it, to curl up um so this is what is happening. And this Hebrew word, hesed, which is translated loving kindness, the word picture that comes with it that all the Hebrews would have understood it immediately, the same word used to describe the word picture of a mom nursing a baby. And as that baby cries for mom's milk, there's a physiological response in mom to produce more milk. That there's an ache in the human heart for the steadfast love of God. And when we cry out for that Hesed love, our Father God produces more than we could ever handle. His steadfast love is unchanging. And this is the basis on which this psalm is written a psalm for giving thanks. Now he's going to give us seven imperatives in this psalm, and they uh, they all revolve uh, around worship. Remember, worship is a whole life response to the goodness of God. It's our whole life response, and he's going to give us seven things, seven imperatives that if in, in the space between that we're waiting for the coming of Jesus, where he's going to come and make everything new in the space between, we're called to worship while we wait. And these are seven things that he tells us that we need to do on how we worship. Thanksgiving is gonna be one of them. It's the one I'm gonna spend the most time on. But I want us to see all of them. He starts in Psalms 100, a Psalms for giving thanks in verse one, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Make a joyful noise. Now, I used to think that this meant that if you can't sing very well, that you just give it all you got and you're making a joyful noise from the heart and that is something that we should do if you've ever been sitting next to me and Jason down here it's a dangerous thing because we are messing up the words and not on tune but we're giving it all we got maybe a little more me than him maybe he's he's but making a joyful noise is not what this means this is incredible The joyful noise, really he's saying make a victorious noise. The joyful noise here is the kind of noise that uh, uh, an army would make after they won the battle or your team would make after you won the game. I don't know if you watched that Alabama-Auburn game yesterday. There was like fans on both sides, man. It was just like, I love how the camera always pans to the disappointed fan. You know, there's like, my life is over. And then right next to them, someone is having the best day of their life, right? And it's like this juxtaposition right there together. This make a joyful noise is make a victorious noise. This is the word for war cry. Now, the Hebrews did something unique that they didn't wait to give their victorious, joyful noise after battle. The Hebrew people would gather normally under the king, aided by the priest, and they would make their joyful noise before they went into battle. Isn't this crazy? A cry of victory before the battle ever began. Knowing that the God who called us into this very place is going to give us victory. So they would announce the victory with this joyful noise. If you can imagine, all the army of Israel gathered up under the king with all their generals and all the things, and they are going to let out this victorious war cry before they enter into battle. And the psalmist uses this and connects it with worship because, friends, worship is war. probably don't need to remind you that you have an enemy who his main goal Jesus says is to still kill and destroy he actively has a bounty on your soul his goal to deceive or distract ultimately to destroy you now if you're a Christian in here your eternal soul is safe but that doesn't mean that he still doesn't want to destroy your witness to rob you of peace and joy that He is actively running a game plan. I was watching the little after conference after Alabama won yesterday, and old Nick Saban, he says, we we practiced that play all week. I'm like, I'm sure you did practice that play all week. In a very similar way, this is what the enemy is doing in your life. He knows how to rob you of peace and joy he knows how to steal contentment from you he knows how to discourage and defeat you he's got a game plan they've been practicing it all week with the goal to steal kill and destroy our war cry friends that we sing before the battles of the week this is why I love that we gather and corporately sing these songs, that we're going to feast in the house of Zion one day. There's going to come a time where we're going to have this incredible uh, wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're going to sit down with Jesus and we're going to celebrate all the victory that he has won. And all the, all the bad things in this life are just going to just, just feel like a, a bad night in a, in a bad hotel one day. Once Jesus makes everything new. But until then, we get to sing our war cry before the battle begins. Our war cry is that our king is won. He is is victorious over sin and Satan and death and hell. That the tomb is empty and anything is possible. The victory has been secured. Amen. We can sing that before the battles. When we get together through our songs and our sermon and our fellowship, Our praying, our communion, all of them like a victory cry before the battles of the week ever take place. This is what the psalmist says, friends, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth serve the lord with gladness this is the second imperative the first is to make a joyful noise the victory cry that we can sing in unison that because god has been victorious over everything that we can sing a victorious song this morning no matter what season we're walking in make a joyful noise then serve the lord with gladness see worship is more than what comes out of our mouth it's this whole life response to the greatness of god There's a way that God has made worship work. When I play uh, Super Mario Kart with Hudson, you're playing Super Mario Kart and when we got him a Nintendo Switch a couple years ago, I could beat him at, at Mario Kart, but it only lasted like three days and now he beats everyone. There's this thing in Super Mario Kart where you run over these little speed strips and it like throws you so much further ahead. There's a way that God has made this life work that's in comparison to this, that we, we are joyful and our hearts turn more worshipful when we begin to serve. Serving is like this little speed strip that gets us further ahead. It's the way we reorient our minds and our hearts in the right positions. We do it through serving. This is what service does. It reminds us that this life doesn't revolve around us, that there's something about the kingdom of God that explodes with significance when we begin to serve. And I hope you live a life of service. I hope you, like Jesus, who made it very clear, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. The picture in John 13 of him emptying himself and washing his disciples' feet. It's a beautiful picture of service. And then he ends that moment with them and said, you've seen what I've done. Now you go and do likewise. And this is the command, this is the commission to all of us that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus to serve. I hope you are serving informally in a thousand ways. I hope you are looking. I hope the posture of your heart is how can I serve? How can I be a blessing to other people? Now, formally, as a church, we serve in really three different ways. One, we serve in our church. There's a group of, uh, of people who showed up early this morning to set all this stuff up, our cargo team. I'm so thankful for them that they, are, that, that, that they, are, that they serve. There's people that are loving on and, and pouring into your kids back there. That's another t- way to serve. There's so many different places to serve. I think, I think everyone in here should serve the church in some kind of way. We serve our church. But then we serve our city. It's not just about us and just serving the people who come to us, but that we've been literally sent out to serve, to serve our city, to find some things that are broken and begin healing them. Hopefully your groups, your missional communities are doing this in a very tangible way. We we serve at the hub. There'll be a group serving there tonight. I love that, that this is a regular rhythm that every Sunday night we're going to serve. That should be something that we do. But even more than that, it's been amazing to see what our missional communities have come up with of ways that they see some brokenness in the world and at great cost to themselves, they rally together, have this initiative and go and meet an actual need. We have people that are serving in the foster care system. They used to have the little homes that they would meet in for supervised visits with the kids that are in foster care and with their parents and the and, and the building was so drab and so ugly and One of our groups who was kind of in that system was like hey why don 't we just go and just make this place beautiful and They went and painted the room and hung some things on the wall and got some toys and things and put in there others Helped, uh, you know, organize uh, go-back. There's been so many things. We've had people that are uh, groups that serve in in, uh, schools that are a lot of underprivileged kids go to these schools. And so they'll show up and we've thrown Fall Fest for them and tutored those kids and poured into them. I mean, there's hundreds of things that I could talk about. But this is what reflects the heart of Jesus, friends. Maybe more than anything else when we serve the last, the lost, and the least. Anybody can come in here and sing the songs. But when you really serve from a heart of gratitude, we serve our church, we serve our city, we serve the world. I think it should be an expectation for everyone who calls covenant home to take a mission trip within five years. Maybe we should even say it's three years. Jesus invested in the disciples in three years and then sent them on a mission trip the rest of their life. Maybe that's what we should think. Jamie's working right now for more opportunities. You know, we've been connected to people who are really far away. It's hard to get to, hard to serve them. We're looking for some more places closer to home that you can go serve. We go serve in uh, New Orleans every year and several times a year. We've got several church plants down there. It's like a foreign country when you go to some of those places. This is how we serve. We serve the world. And this there's just something about serving that realigns our heart with the heart of Jesus, he said very clearly that he came to serve. Look too in the text, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. I love this. Serve the Lord with gladness. Grumpy service doesn't worship the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Parents, you know this. Have you ever asked your kid to go clean the room and they go and clean it and all you hear is them knocking stuff around and kicking stuff and throwing things under the bed? You ask your kids to take out the trash and they're all, you know, grumpy and murmuring under their breath. And you're like, boy, I'll just put you in the trash and take it out, take it out too. You You can just go right there with them. Grumpy service doesn't worship the Lord. Now listen, we have to fight against this because our flesh wants everything to be about us and our comfort. This is one of the things that Thanksgiving pushes us on because it puts us in uncomfortable situations that aren't about us all the time. It requires work of us to host and be hospitable, to keep our mouth shut with uncle whoever at the table, right? To make peace. The psalmist reminds us that we should serve the Lord with gladness. Thirdly, come into his presence with singing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Now, I won't go deep into this because I preached an entire sermon on this a few weeks ago. But we were made to sing praises unto God. And listen, God doesn't need your la-la-la. He doesn't. You look at Revelation and there's the cherubim up there with all these wings flying around the throne, singing holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. They're just singing, 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 singing. And there's there's all kind of things in heaven. It says all all of of creation, all the galaxies are declaring the glory of God. God's got worship coming from everywhere. He doesn't need your little little song. Then, Then why does he command it? Because you need it. You need it. You need to sing the praises of God, especially with a faith family, so we can lift your eyes up. He is the, the actual lifter of our heads, as the psalm, psalm says. He's not sitting around depressed up in heaven. Man, I just wish I could get David to sing a little bit. That sure would make my day. Man, if he could just sing that song again. No this is not something he wants from you this is something he wants for you When we sing we pray in unison with our minds and with our hearts and we do it corporally we sing and pray together the same words this is so powerful Notice too that it says that we actually come into his presence with singing The original singers of this psalm may have been a bit confused here because they were not invited into God's presence. They were invited to get near God's presence, but they were forbidden to come into God's presence. As a matter of fact, Moses asked God for more presence, and God said, no, Moses, if you actually came into my presence, the weightiness of who I am, of my glory, would literally kill you. But I'll let you come after I've passed by. I'll let you feel the afterburners for a second. And Moses does this, comes down off the mountain, and his face is literally glowing so much that it freaked everyone out, and he had to wear a blanket over his head for a little bit. The presence of the Lord was reserved once the temple was built into the holy of holies and only one man, one time a year could walk into the holy of holies where the presence of God actually dwelt. As a matter of fact, everyone else had all these barriers that kept him away. Gentiles could only go this far and the women could only go this far and the men could go a little further and then the priests could go a little further which is something we talk about. It's one of the things we celebrate every year on Good Friday. One of the most miraculous things that happened when Jesus died on the cross is there was an earthquake that happened. And the earthquake split right down the temple, and it tore the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, with, with the holy place, the rest of the temple, as in a way to say that God has invited us into his presence. The curtain, this four-inch thick curtain, tore from top to bottom to signify that Jesus had removed the separation. He had dealt with the penalty of sin that kept us from experiencing God's presence by giving his very own life. And because of that, he's invited us to enter in his presence. What the Israelites sang that we enter his presence with singing, it was a hopeful thing. One day, maybe we can enter the presence of God. One day, when, when, when everything is made right, we can enter the presence of God. But then Jesus came and he said, no, no friends, today is that day. You can literally enter the presence of God today. Isn't that amazing? We take that for granted. That his, he's inviting us to literally enter in his presence who can just walk into the presence of a king without an appointment his kids do your kids need an appointment with you even once they move out of the house do they have to call and say hey look can we can can i have an hour on tuesday morning no they just show up and this is what our father has invited us into We come into his presence with singing. If you've ever read Revelation, there's a lot of confusing things happening in that book and there's a lot of things going on in that book. But in Revelation 8, the beginning of it, all these things are happening and there's locusts and seven horns and there's all these things happening. And God says, shh, everything quiet. And he quiets all of heaven, all the singing, all the things, so that... He could hear the worship of his people, the prayers of his people like incense before the throne room. Isn't that amazing? This singing thing is not something we do just to warm us up before the sermon. This is not batting practice before the game. No, this is part of who we are. We are a singing people. We come into his presence with singing Then the fourth thing in verse 3, the fourth imperative. Know that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, using God's covenant name, Yahweh, know that the Lord, he is God. It's hard to worship and love a God that you don't know. This is the invitation to know the Lord. Now, of course, we take this for granted because all of us have multiple Bibles and multiple versions of Bibles, and we've got multiple apps. I've got three or four apps on my phone that basically all do the same thing. Jen Wilkins says, the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. This is an invitation to know the Lord, and we know the Lord through the word of God. Revealed through the person of Jesus, illuminated by the Spirit. Every time we open God's Word, the Trinity at work, bringing light to us, that we would understand. If we want to feel deeply about God, we must learn to think deeply about Him. Finding greater pleasure in God would not result from pursuing more experiences of Him, like I just want the goosebumps kind of thing. But from knowing him better, it will result result from making a study of who he is and walking with him. Jesus came for this very purpose. He told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures in vain because you search them and you miss me. I'm I'm right in front of you. Jesus came to reveal God to us. He is the defining word on God. And so many people, they say, About the character of God. Well, what about this thing in the Old Testament? I don't know. All I know is I read everything through the lens of Jesus. He is the exact representation of the Father, it tells us. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. An intimate encounter with Jesus is the most transforming experience of human existence. To know him as he is is to come home. To have his life and joy and love and presence cannot be compared with anything else. A true knowledge of Jesus is our greatest need and it leads to our greatest happiness. To be mistaken about him is the saddest mistake of all. The psalmist says you should know the Lord. He is God. Uses both names for him. The Lord, this covenant name that he gave to Moses in the burning bush. Bush, I am who I am. This is who I am. Go tell Pharaoh this. This covenant name, I'm going to be your God. And then the word God, which means the ultimate authority. Both personal, crazy personal, and crazy powerful. We get to know him and to walk with him. Friends, do you know the Lord? Not just what other people say about the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Have you walked with him this week? Are you growing and understanding through the word? They're predicting, and listen, this is no shame here on parents. They're predicting that 2 million Christian teenagers or church-going teenagers are going to leave the faith in America alone this year. 2 million. It was about a million and a half last year and a million the year before that. 40 million in the next 20 years of teenagers that grew up in Christian homes, so-called Christian homes, who did the youth group stuff, who went on the trips and got the t-shirts, and they walked across the stage on graduation Sunday, senior Sunday, and they shook someone's hand and got handed a Bible or whatever we give them and they walk away from the faith. And this is not true for everyone, but you know why I think most of those kids walk home walk away from the faith? Because parents we're teaching our kids how to worship. We're teaching them how to worship. And what we teach them is that Jesus is a religion and not a personal relationship. Again, no shame, but parents, when's the last time you repented in front of your kids? When's the last time your kids saw you more emotional at the incredible love of Jesus than from something else, more excited about what he's doing around the world? When's the last time you leveraged and gave more money to the things of God than you spent on yourself or even on them at Christmas? What what we're doing at home, this this is our little church and you're their little pastor and you're teaching your kids how to worship. You're teaching them how to make a joyful noise. You're teaching them how to serve the Lord with gladness. You're teaching them how to come into his presence with singing. You're teaching them what it means to know the Lord through your discipline and understanding and walking with him. Parents, you're teaching your kids what it means to worship the Lord and what they have found in a lot of homes. And I'm not, this is, again, no shame, and this is no condemnation on you. Most of the parents that I know, you're doing an incredible job at this. But we teach our kids what it's like to worship the Lord. And a lot of them find our homes filled with more friction than favor, more uh, disappointment, and discouragement than the deep things of God. What we've done in America, and I I was part of this as a youth pastor for over a decade, we have boiled worshiping God down to an hour on Sunday if nothing interferes. If we're really honest, can we just be really honest? Most of us just aren't that thrilled with Jesus anymore. so we looked for something more thrilling church and serving and singing and equipping friends you know why we do all these things that it would be a certain kind of liturgy that makes us a certain kind of person that it would teach us how to worship and that we should do these things out of response of an overflow of love of god that satisfies me. The invitation here is an invitation to know God through his word. Not for the sake of the words alone like the Pharisees who missed it. Know that the Bible would be a window that we peer through and that we see what God's like and what life is meant to be like. That we would see the word of God like a mirror and it would reflect what we look like. And it would be a door, it would be an invitation. Jesus literally calls himself the door that you're invited to know God on this personal level. He says the things we learn about who God is. Know that the Lord, in verse 3, he is God. It is he who made us, our origin story, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture that Jesus is our good shepherd. And he's invited us to walk with him, the sheep of his pasture. Friends, it is so easy to lose your identity in this world. We're the sheep of his pasture. Let's keep going. Fifth thing, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. These two kind of go hand in hand. This is what we experienced this week. How, how do we do? We have on our American cal- calendar a national holiday to be thankful. And I, and I hope you took some time this week to be thankful, to pause like most holidays we take them and make them about everything that they're really not and most of us today are more tired and more stressed out and our pants didn't fit this morning and we get all the list of things so we come in kind of grumpy there's something about having a heart of thanksgiving that realigns our worship when this was written the temple was in jerusalem And to get to the temple, you had to go through some outer gates. And then there was a few courtyards there. And then there were some more steps into the next courtyard. And often the priest would stand at the entrance of the gate. And he would remind the people who were coming into the temple that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. There were a few things that they were required to bring to worship. Thanksgiving and praise. See, friends, we live on this continuum in this world between thanksgiving and entitlement. And the world is constantly trying to pull us towards entitlement. You deserve this. This is better. This this is better. You can have this. You can add this to your life if you buy this. If you have this new relationship, if you reach this next rung on the ladder of success, it's just more, 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 more and they're really good at it I mean the algorithms on your phone you know before the phone and you didn't even know what to put on a Christmas list and now my phone tells me what to put on my Christmas list it is perfect and they are really good at it I'm like ooh, I love those shoes I've already sent my family a list with about 20 high price items that my phone told me would make my life better entitlement 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 if you don't believe this just watch people fight at disney world i mean it's amazing you're in the happiest place on earth and everybody's angry the kids want more 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 the world constantly pull us towards entitlement the voice of god constantly pulling us back towards gratitude That every good and perfect gift, James says, comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good and every perfect gift. The gospel produces in us a heart of gratitude because we did nothing to earn salvation or even secure it. It's by grace through faith. One of my favorite stories on gratitude is... the grateful leper in Luke 17. If you got a second, flip over there with me to Luke 17. I'm not going to go through the whole passage, but Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and he enters this small village. And outside the village, he's met with 10 lepers, likely right outside the city gates. They didn't know a whole lot about leprosy. So if you got leprosy and they didn't know how contagious it was, you got forced out of the city gates. Which meant even if you wanted to, you couldn't, you couldn't stay inside the city at all. So at, at the moment that the spot showed up, you would try to hide it and hide it and hide it until you couldn't hide it anymore. And then you were forced out of the city gates. And there you just hoped that you would get better. Now, a lot of them would, especially because they didn't have doctors that could distinguish between leprosy and psoriasis. If you had a skin disease, you had acne as a teenager. I'd been kicked, I'd been kicked out of the gate. Like, what is wrong with your face, bro? That'd be me. Jesus encounters them as he's walking through. They're outside the city gates. In verse 15, I want to jump in, Luke 17. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, they cry out to Jesus. Jesus heals them, sends them back to the priest. That catches us up, verse 15. Then one of them, when he was saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks now he was a samaritan then jesus answered were not ten cleansed where are the nine was no one found in return to give praise to god except for this foreigner and he said to him rise and go your way your faith has made you well i've been sitting with this passage all week i love it And I don't want to be so hard on the other nine. They got healed, but they hadn't seen their families. They probably had work to attend to. They probably were missing out on so much. And once they were healed, then they were able to go back to life as normal. But you know what? I think it's such an indictment of my own heart. This is what happens in the human heart. That when God blesses us, we worship the created things more than we give thanks to the one who created them. Literally, just think about our habits. How much time in a day do we give towards the created things? And how much time do we walk in uninterrupted conversation with the Lord thanking him for the creation? On Christmas morning, how much time will you spend celebrating the creator who came to provide rescue? And how much time will we put our focus on all the created things? This last phrase here in verse 19, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This last phrase literally means your faith has saved you. When I met Ashley right after uh, high school, I was working at Lifeway Christian Store. Anybody remember Lifeway? Yeah, I was the guy reorganizing the Bibles and messing up your Bibles when I would try to put your name in gold leaf on the front of them. As a matter of fact, every gift Ashley got the first couple years were like Bibles that had someone else's name on them or books that had other, because, you know, they sold them at a deep discount. I would catch myself staring at this painting. You have the painting? That's the next picture, I think, in there. They called this the grateful leper. And there's the nine, just headed off into back into the business of life. And there's the one. And Jesus makes a point of this when he says, where? are the nine. Were not 10 cleansed? Was no one found to return except for this foreigner, the Samaritan? See this one grateful leper, he understood something. Physical healing is a great blessing, but it ends in death eventually. While the blessing of eternal life lasts forever. When you choose an attitude of gratefulness, of gratitude toward the Lord, something changes in our life. This is what the psalmist is calling us to. Jesus drew this distinction between the nine and the one. He said to the one, Your faith has made you well. Thankfulness led to wellness and healing, even at a deeper level all were healed physically, only one was healed spiritually. Here's the spiritual secret in this. Faith grows in the soil of thankfulness. In the life of the one, gratitude led to faith, which led to salvation. And how does he express his gratitude? It says in the text, when he came back, he gave praise to God. Which is the next thing the psalmist says, that we enter his courts with praise. It says he came back praising God in a loud voice. What's the point of this? Here's the point, the big picture. You see in this man trust and gratitude and humility and commitment and contentment and love and praise and worship, all components of a faith well beyond the other nine, right? <laughs> It's a faith that embraces Jesus as God, as Lord. It's a faith that bows humbly in recognition of his own lowliness and the presence of the greatness of Jesus. And the story represents a general attitude many in our world have about Jesus. Even religious people that are filling churches today. Lord, give us healing, give us food, deliver us from darkness, do miracles, do all the things, give me all the things, but don't expect worship back from me. Don't expect praise or adoration or thanks. Don't expect me to acknowledge you as God. Listen, this man fell down glorifying God and he worshiped. And knowing that worship belonged to God, and he knew God was the source of his miracle, and he thanked Jesus, he thanked him, as well as worshiped him, he came back with the right attitude. Everyone heard the message. Everyone enjoyed the benefit of Jesus' power. Everyone basked in the wonder of his teaching and his miracles, but only a few came and fell at his feet And glorified him as God and worshiped him and humbled themselves and offered him thanks. The majority, they were the takers. They were the gimme, gimme, gimme people. A small group were the ones who actually gave him worship. The majority were satisfied or content with just fixing their life up a little bit. Superficial and temporal. But there was a small group that wanted him to change their souls and transform their hearts and alter their destinies and that's a warning for us church the warning's that you can experience the goodness and common grace of god and we do the whole world does scripture says that he makes the sun rise on all of us and the rainfall on the just and the unjust that he is good he brings goodness to all men you can be blessed by god in an earthly physical way that he is a savior temporarily to all men. You can be blessed to hear the stories of Jesus and the gospel truth. And you can say, you know what? I'll just take what I can get. I like my life the way it is. But never come back and praise him as your master and your savior. Let me ask you this morning, which side of the continuum are you on if you're real honest with yourself on the entitlement side? give me more, give me more, or on the thanksgiving side, Lord, I am so thankful for who you are. His response and our response should be to enter his courts with praise. This is the result. This is the sixth thing, to enter his courts with praise. This is a result of a thankful heart. We erupt in declaring how great he is. We praise his name. You know, the way you do after you experience something great, we give praise. This is the natural overflow of our hearts as we praise. Now, 2 Thessalonians 5 tells us this, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus. This phrase, giving thanks in all circumstances, that's a powerful phrase. Some of you have had a heavy week. As mentioned before, we've had a lot of loss in our church family this week. Is Paul saying that we should give thanks in those dark circumstances? Yes. Notice he doesn't say we give thanks for all circumstances. He didn't say that. Not for all the circumstances. We ask God to heal the cancer. We ask God to fix the financial issues. We ask God to reconcile the relations. We ask him, we ask him, we pray, we plead, and we should. But even if he chooses not to work the way that we think he should work, we still give thanks to him in all circumstances. Well, why do we do that? Well, the, the psalmist tells us, Because it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then all the way down in verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is why we can be thankful in all circumstances. Because God's love for us does not change. you know that God doesn't get frustrated with you. He doesn't have a heart like an earthly father where we annoy him. His steady love. Here's the seventh thing and we're going to close this thing out. The seventh thing, the seventh imperative that the psalmist gives us is to bless his name. How do we bless his name? Through love-driven obedience. That's what blesses the Lord. Love-driven obedience. Not just begrudging obedience. Think about your kids again. Do begrudging obedience ever bless your heart? No. It's not just the obedience, and it's not just in relationship. If one of your kids said, man, I love you, Mom, but I'm just not going to do anything you ask me to do. That's a relationship without respect, and that doesn't feel like a blessing. No, it's love-driven obedience. That's how we bless the name of the Lord. That's how we bring blessing to Him. We bless Him by trusting Him, by obeying Him, out of the overflow of our love for Him, even when we don't understand all the things. Even when the things around us are dark, even when we don't understand, we hold tightly onto his hand and we bless his name. You know what God really wants from you today? He doesn't want your performance. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't just want your Sundays. He wants you. That's how you bless him. You come to him. You bless his name when you give him yourself. Listen, this is not about getting it right all the time. He knew you wouldn't do that. That's why Jesus had to come. He knew you were going to blow it and blow it a lot of other times. That's why we needed a rescuer. Again, he wraps this whole thing up by telling us why we should do these things. They're not based on our circumstances. They're based on the character of God. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I'm going to invite the band up. And I want us to do these two things today. I want us to enter the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. We're going to start with entering the gates with thanksgiving. I want to give you a little gift. And that gift is a few minutes of uninterrupted time. Kids, if you're in the room, would you give mom and dad a little bit, let's, let's say two minutes, of uninterrupted time? Don't touch them, don't hold them, don't ask them any questions. I've got something for you to do too. I want us to make a list of all the things that we're thankful for. I'd really, if I could push you a little bit, I'd really like you to do two lists. Let's do on one column on the list, and this is just for you. You're not turning this in. This is just for you. One list of things that you're thankful for the way God has worked in your life. This is the blessings. I'm thankful for my kids and I'm thankful for the fall weather and the home I'm going to go home to. These are the things I'm thankful for, the things God has done. But on the other list, I want you to just jot down a few things that you're thankful for God for who he is, not the things he's done. This is what the psalmist does here. For the Lord is good... And he lists a few things that he's thankful for about who God is, not what he's done. He lists a lot of things in the Psalms about what he's done, that you delivered us out of uh, Egypt under slavery, that you, you came through and we needed it. You split the Red Sea. You showed up and gave us manna from heaven. There's a long list of things. that uh, we're, we're so thankful, God, this is what you've done. But there's also this list of things we're thankful for who he is. And at the top of that list should be the Hesed love of God. His loving kindness, his steadiness. And then just jot a few other things in. I'm going to give you a few minutes. The band's going to play. Then when we're done with that, we're going to take communion. And we're going to join in singing together the praise. I'm going to pray for us. I'll invite our communion service forward. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion today. But you do have to be part of God's family communion is this outward symbol of an interchange in our life that in our life that we've died with Christ so that we can truly live again if you're visiting today we just take the bread and dip it in the cup and partake it there'll be communion service at all four tables so let me pray give you two minutes to make your list Then we'll do communion and then we'll sing together. God, I love you. I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we make a joyful noise today. We join in with all the earth, declaring your supremacy above everything. And we can really sing with an anchored living hope Because you have conquered sin and Satan and death and damnation even. You have made a way. Where there seemed there wasn't a way. So God, we are so thankful. As we write our list, Lord, hear our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'll be in the back with some other people if you want to pray with someone. Take two minutes. Write your list of thanksgiving.